millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted. Welcome again. My name is Todd Nettleton. You know, we're approaching the holiday season, and the, and the holidays are a joyful time, but for some, they bring up difficult memories. Eight years ago, Anita Smith came home to the United States for Christmas, traveling with her young son. Her husband, Ronnie, stayed behind in Libya, where he was finishing the semester as a high school chemistry teacher. He was planning on flying home to join them and enjoy Christmas together just as soon as his students had completed their final exams. But then Anita got a phone call from one of their neighbors. They asked me to, if I was sitting down, they said, I'm sorry, but Ronnie is dead. And I, it was just complete shock. And I kept saying, I don't understand. We heard that part of the story last week. I want to encourage you to be sure and go back and listen and listen to the first half of my conversation with Anita Smith. Anita and Ronnie had to take some huge steps of faith to follow the Lord's leading to move to Libya in the middle of violence and unrest in that country. Now, eight years after Ronnie's murder, she still has to live by faith day by day by day, but obviously life looks different. I think our conversation about forgiveness and trusting the Lord with our children's future is going to encourage you. Let's listen to part two of my conversation with Anita Smith. Ronnie made the ultimate personal representation of Christ's suffering, being willing to lay down his life there. Have you seen or heard the impact that had? I mean, obviously your neighbors were grieving right along with you, but have you seen any of the ways that that has left an impact or left an imprint? Yes, I have heard of um, many stories that people will either reach out to me or to his family members to really be thankful, and they're very, like, very sorry for what happened, but just thankful that we and Ronnie took that path of obedience, willing to lay down his life, knowing that, It was a hostile area to Americans and to Christians. And I've heard a lot of stories of people being inspired. A few occasions in which people have become goers themselves and going onto the mission field, actually quite a few of those. And then as well as a couple of Libyans that didn't know me personally, But I remember one story where a Libyan was speaking with somebody in Syria on the refugee camp area, and they were talking about the American that died in Benghazi for Jesus. And that story was brought to me that somebody was talking about it and that it's not forgotten. For Libya and for Benghazi, it's something that was known because it doesn't happen often that an American dies on Libyan soil. I love, yeah, I love it when I hear things like that because it's this December, it'll be eight years since he's passed away. 
And I don't want his life forgotten. And not necessarily his life, but like to magnify it, to show that that Jesus is worth dying for. And it's hard for me to even fathom, but I want this to be eternal, like an eternal significance. And I do believe that Ronnie in heaven is in glory and that he's like, if he could, he could tell us this is just so, our time on earth is so short and the suffering may seem long, but keep going, keep going and look to the eternal and show that to our son, Hosea. You mentioned that you were praying and even praying for the men who shot Ronnie. You did more than pray though. You like wrote a letter and and then released it to the public so everybody could see what grew out of that. I mean, this is a a grace from God that I was given the platform to be able to speak to the Libyans, to the world. I wanted to write it and read it out loud and say to the men that had attacked Ronnie that Jesus died for you too and this presentation of Ronnie's life is like Christ's sufferings and he wants to show that to those that he died for and none of us deserve God's love but he gives it freely and he wants you to have it as well meaning to the attackers and so I wanted to just be able to present that and show them that and I pray that they know about it and that they heard about it I did do a Arabic interview, and that was from what I had heard from the Middle Easterns that that was known about because I did I did say I love you and I forgive you in Arabic. What? What That I think was one of the more personal interviews. Um, I know it hurt the Libyan people too because they were ashamed as far as our friends. They didn't want Libya to be represented as what the attackers did. So being able to speak to them in their language, it was just more personal to me and to them. And to speak to the attackers in their language as well. So this letter is released publicly, and then you have a chance to do interviews, and I've, you know, you were on CNN, you're on CBS News, you're on Al Jazeera. Mm-hmm. What was the response of the people interviewing you? Because I, I, they don't hear this story very often, is my assumption. So what was their response as they, you know, did the interviews and, and had the conversations and produced the pieces? They were very empathetic and sympathetic and... They were also, I would say, shocked because they were repeating themselves, trying to almost get me to change what I was saying. But they were just saying, like, how can you forgive them if they've done such an awful thing to you, if they killed your husband? And it's true. It's just the Holy Spirit is responsible for giving me the words and the power to have that love to be able to say, Jesus wants them to only see the love of Christ and not hatred and not animosity and not retaliation. 
How old was Hosea when Ronnie was killed? Two. So what do you tell him now about Ronnie, or what stories do you tell him about Ronnie that you, you want to be sure he knows and be sure he understands? I do want Hosea to, to know that his father loved Jesus, and he wasn't perfect, but he wanted to use his life to glorify Jesus, to take his names to the ends of the earth, knowing that's when Jesus will come back and until all people groups have heard of his name and that have believed in his name. And that doesn't mean we are going to change the world, but we can help a city know who he is. And I want him to know that his father was a man that prayed a lot and fervently. Something that's been very difficult is he's 10 now, and so it's been nearly eight years that all of his young life, he hasn't had his father around. And I'm hoping that his father's absence, I know it's not wasteful, but when I see it day to day that he's not there and that Hosea, our son, doesn't know what it was like to have a father, that I just hope that that will create something in Hosea's heart to want to live for Jesus in even a greater way, and not for his dad, but for Jesus, and that the absence of, a, of his earthly father would not stop him from having a deep love for his heavenly father. So there's a verse in the scripture that says God is the father to the fatherless and the husband to the widow. What does that verse mean to you in the last eight years? I, I remember a sermon of the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. He's on the cross. He's suffering immensely. And he only has these very short seven sayings. And one of them, he turns and tells John to take care of his mother. And his mother's a widow at the time, and it was just showing how much that he's like caring for his mother, who's the widow. And I do get comforted that that's something that the Bible speaks of often. The fatherless and the widow, that God understands that those people are not forgotten and that he loves them and he notices them and he wants them to know that he will take care of them. Are there ways that you've experienced that in the last eight years? And just some ways that God has just stepped in and you've, you've seen how he's just taking care of you? Yes, as soon as Ronnie passed away, um, the support was just amazing from the, chur the church, people that I didn't know, helping support us from food to finances to people coming and wanting to sit with me and give me company and love and affection. It was just amazing. They surprised me with a place to stay, and they furnished it all. And just to be able to show that you don't have to figure this out on your own. We want to take care of you. God's family is pretty amazing. Yeah, they took care of me. I think some people would ask, knowing everything you know now, is there anything you would do differently in any of this, in moving to Libya, in, in any of it? Is there anything you would change if you could go back and change it? 
I know there is current significance and eternal significance in what happened. It's hard for me to sometimes wonder why did it happen so fast. We were just there for a couple of years, and we were just barely forming relationships. Sometimes it takes five years plus before you're really getting into God's Word. And I've missed Ronnie a lot over the last eight years and have wanted Jose to have a father. And not just any father, but his father. It's more I wish that we could have stayed there longer. It's not that I regret going there. Of course I wish it didn't happen, but I just wish it didn't have to happen that way. I just had hoped that there was a different route. Have you had seasons where you've kind of asked God the why question? God, why did you let this happen? Yeah, I've asked that a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Has he answered? The reply is more of just hearing through his word and through friends and family. When I do talk to, I'm very close with his mother and his sisters, and we can always talk about things like that. And they're extremely encouraging through prayer and being able to preach to myself and them preaching to me God's word of, like, God is sovereign. We don't know why these things happen, but there is a reason. And if we don't see it now, we'll see it in heaven. And Ronnie's life has been used in significant ways already. And so, and people encourage me and say that my response and my life has been used in significant ways. And it's encouraging to hear that. I just need to remember daily from Jesus that living for him is worth it and that he is better than what we have. And it's not, I don't always believe it. It's hard to, but I just ask the Holy Spirit to really help me persevere for that day and to continue persevering. And I do have bad days. It's, I mean, I don't want to make it seem like I'm a suffering saint that has gone through it well, but I've needed others to help me and encourage me, and they have. You've been encouraged by the stories of other people who have suffered. And I think the Wormbrands are, are one that has. Can you talk a little bit about those stories and, and how you've sort of drawn strength or, or drawn from their example? I read Richard's book, Tortured for Christ, before we even knew that we were wanting to live overseas. It was when I was just a few years in becoming a Christian. And I was amazed at his, both of their love and passion to continue suffering for him and in prison singing hymns and in isolation. It was just something that I didn't think I could do or if I could even do now. And I know it's the spirit that gives you that power to do it. And I read that even when he was first kidnapped, he just remained silent And he prayed, Lord, I need you to help me endure whatever they're going to do to me. I'm sure whenever you're put in that situation, that's when you do receive God's grace to be able to withstand that. 
it's just remarkable that he suffered for over 10 years. And not only him, he spoke about other people that were imprisoned for 20 plus years. Are there other stories of, of persecuted Christians that, that have particularly inspired you or, or that you've particularly remember or, or have drawn from? I can't speak of their names. Uh, there is a, a couple that was during the same time living in the Middle East and the, both the husband and the wife were kidnapped. We heard about it when we were in Libya and we prayed for them and then she was released, but he was still held captive for another nine or 10 months. There was an arrangement for his release, and unfortunately during that time, he was shot and he was killed. I have spoken with her through email, and we just shared with each other just the part of missing our husbands, and you go to these countries hoping that even though there are hostile areas, you're just hoping that you'd be able to see fruit and be there long enough and that there's just, God has different plans. And there was another woman, American. She was there with her husband in the Middle East as well. He was a physician and they were there for over 10 years. And they were out in the outskirts of their country and their entire group of 10 were shot and killed. And she's living here in the United States and she came to visit me personally and encourage me and pray over me. So you're in Benghazi and you're praying for these people who have been kidnapped in, in that sort of general part of the world. Were you ever thinking this, we could be praying for ourselves someday? I, I mean, because I would assume living in Benghazi, that would be a very real thing that you're thinking about. Hey, this could be us. Mm -hmm. So when we did live in Benghazi, there were several times where we were told by our local neighbors to stay in. There were news, their local news that were saying to harm Americans and foreigners uh, because, like I said, Gaddafi had recently been taken out of power, so there was a lot of unrest and political unrest. So we were told to stay indoors, like they would get our groceries for us. Yeah, I did have fear in me, like actual fear. It was a handful of times. I love how your neighbors looked out for you, though. They did. I, I mean, I love that part of the story. Like, you guys stay inside. We're going to bring your groceries. Just, <laughs> It's a good time to lay low. Yes, they did. One of my biggest fears even then was just the unknown of kidnapping and the idea of torture. And it does happen, and I don't know people that have endured that other than through books of stories that we've heard. And it is very real today and from before, and I know it's real currently right now, and it could have happened to us. So for me, at least knowing that there was an end point to Ronnie's suffering, that did bring me relief. Talk about Ronnie's legacy. You've talked a little bit about it in missionaries that have gone out, in Libyan people that have heard the gospel, in American people who have taken the gospel more seriously. Um, but talk just a little bit about his legacy. I think how he would want to be remembered fortunately has become what how people have remembered him and 
It's remembering him as just an average guy who loves Jesus, and he wasn't a super saint or a super Christian, but that he wanted to follow Christ and obey him and take his word to the ends of the earth, knowing that we're all on a mission here, that we want Jesus to come back, and we should be eager to have him come back and return. And we all have a part in that mission, and that he wanted to be a part of that mission. And he has shown the Libyan people that in-person presentation of Christ's sufferings. And the stories that people have told me about Ronnie, that's exactly what they have been. They've been thanking me that we were obedient to go, that his life going there and being able to leave behind what we had here has been an inspiration to them and to show people that Jesus is better, that Jesus is glorified in his life. And like I love that Hosea, our son, can see that, that Ronnie died for Christ and he died being obedient to Christ. And he didn't know that that was going to happen. He knew it was possible. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he calls us to complete surrender. Anita Smith has gone through many points of surrender. First, she had to say yes to moving to another country. Then she had to say yes to moving to Libya in spite of the danger there. Then she had to say yes to completely forgive the men who killed her husband. And she's still saying yes to the Lord's plan as she raises their son, without his earthly father. Our moments of surrender may or may not look as dramatic as those, but all of us are called to lay everything down to follow Jesus. As you have heard Anita today, I hope that you'll take a moment to say yes to whatever the Lord is calling you to do. Maybe he wants you to move to another country and tell people who speak a different language about Jesus. Or maybe he wants you to be faithful to serve him day by day, right where you are, to tell the person who lives right next door that Jesus loves them as well. Either way, I pray that we will embrace his call, embrace being in the center of his will. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, Voice for the Persecuted.